Welcome to All About Data on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jory Heckman. Thanks for joining me this week on the latest episode of All About Data. My guest today is Tom Sasela, the Chief Data Officer for the Department of the Navy. Tom, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. A lot to get into here. Uh, you've certainly been busy, as all CDOs have been busy these days, with uh, a myriad of, of projects here. I think one thing that is, I think, top of mind for the Navy right now is empowering data analytics across the board. But to frame that conversation from your perspective on things, how is the Navy taking steps to make data analytics possible at the strategic and the tactical levels here? Really, how does data part of uh, making readiness uh, improved across the board here? Yeah, so we got a lot going on right now, as you can imagine. And, uh, you know, there's a couple what I would call strategic initiatives that we're engaging in that are going to be longer term to play out to get to kind of the the inevitable target state that we want to get to. And then there's some things we're doing short term to try and uh, bolster our environment right now while we're working on it. So uh, I'll kind of break it down by the longer term things and then jump to some of the shorter term things. So um, obviously, we've made a long term investment in our enterprise and data analytics platform. Uh, so part of that uh, platform is actually getting high quality data into the platform. And then more importantly, though, you know, we have the Open Government Data Act. It's part of the foundations of evidence-based policymaking that requires us to inventory our data. Uh, so that is something we are working on feverishly right now. In fact, we just signed out a new policy document, which is uh, creating operational advantage using data. So the whole idea there is to enable the warfighter, enable the fleet, enable the forces uh, to do their jobs better, more efficiently, more effectively by using data, integrating data analysis, data uh, analytics, as well as the, the broader sort of predictive and prescriptive analytics that we want to get to longer term, right? And so to back those things up, we have some uh, near term actions that we're working on right now, which are really around uh, the activity of gearing up for that data cataloging, um, looking for use cases that need data more importantly. So we say, hey, if we have a series of use cases, which we do, we have about 89 of them documented right now, that'll help us prioritize what data we want to go after first to really get the most important data in the hands of the warfighter, in the hands of the decision maker uh, more rapidly. Obviously, there are some goals set in the future for where the Navy would like to be with this data, but it's probably worthwhile checking in on the current state of the data. What do you make of that current state of the data and where would you like to take things? Yeah, so currently I would say we are better than we have been in the past, but we are far from where we need to be in the future. Uh, so we have established our data management program and our data governance that is the, the form by which we make uh, guidance and policy decisions for the Navy. Uh, we have we have done an initial data assessment or a, a maturity level analysis of our different uh, 12 information domains we've broken our data management up into. Uh, we're about where we expected us to be, so out of a one to five, uh, we're on average at 2.2. <laughs> uh, now we did that analysis about a year or so ago. So we're actually starting to do a little bit of a, uh, a revisit on some of the areas, some of the areas that were lower than maybe we wanted. We're going back to them and say, you know, if you've had a year of the findings, what have you done in these areas and whatnot? Uh, and then, you know, just kind of right now, what we have is we're actually going through our annual report to Congress. We're starting to write that as well to try and also help us say, you know, it's been a year since the 
last time we looked at where we were in the story. Where are we today? And so a lot of great traction in a couple of areas. Our financial management guys are just knocking out of the park. Uh, we're really gearing up on the human capital side. Uh, and so for us, it's a total force initiative on the human capital side, which is a, a departure from maybe where the, the Navy was even 12 months or so ago, which is uh, really it was the Navy and the Marine Corps and the Secretariat and then the civilians and the military all kind of working independently. So now we're taking a much more holistic viewpoint on that total force, gathering total force data, as well as building our data acumen program itself. And so the total force program is really about all facets of managing our human capital um, and then the, the data analytics around that. So I'm really excited by the areas we're working there. Um, We've also done a lot of work in the logistics and the supply chain area as well, uh, not only in, ter in terms of supporting the warfighter in terms of that congested and contested supply problem that we have uh, in the from the warfighting perspective, but also just some of the some of the basic things that we've been doing now for you know two plus years because of COVID of you know tracking PPE and things like this. We've gotten a lot better as well as just you know attestation forms in terms of whether or not you have a vaccine or not, and a lot of that stuff is uh, really starting to tail off right now. We're in a sustainment mode in most cases. Uh, so should we need to ramp up again, we can. But right now we're kind of tailing that off. So uh, a lot of work has happened. Um, I would say, generally speaking, uh, like I said, we are better than where we were. We still have a lot of work to do in terms of inventorying our data. Uh, and then the, the high priority data sets is really focusing on cleaning and curating them and creating an actual master data repository. And that is one of the initiatives we've just kicked off just recently in the last couple of weeks is really making the data that we do have better, more trustworthy, more timely, more readily accessible and consumable, understandable, right, uh, to our customers. And so rather than giving them kind of raw data out of the databases we have today, right, we're making sense of it and we're making it just easier to understand and linking it with other data sets that make sense. Uh, that's another value add of this platform that we talked about earlier. So. All right. Well, keeping on with that data maturity piece of the conversation, can you tell me a little bit more about Navy's cattle drive initiative and how that reduces some of the data duplication that is present within these systems? Yeah, absolutely. So about, uh, I would say almost a year and a half ago, maybe even two years ago, we initiated a thing called Supernova, uh, which was a, a specific system rationalization uh, initi initiative that we went after to get after the data systems themselves, right? So how do we look at the systems we have, look at the ones that are doing uh, analysis or look at the ones that are gathering large amounts of information and aggregating them? Um, and how do we deduplicate that capability? Uh, so at the same time, uh, our CIO, Aaron Weiss, actually started Cattle Drive, which was a broader system rationalization across a, a very large waterfront of systems. And so what we've done is we've dovetailed Supernova into Cattle Drive right now. Uh, there is only Cattle Drive now. And so we are... Uh, we have broken up the cattle drive initiatives into different portfolios, and we're focusing in on those portfolios, uh, looking from on the business side, we're looking at the business processes, what systems support those business processes. Uh, and if there's a, a suite of systems or a set of systems that are supporting a single business process, uh, you know, what makes them unique, what makes them the same and looking at the, the degree of overlap there. And then we could say, hey, if a system has a great de degree of overlap, uh, is, is there a way to deduplicate this? And so we've actually 
actually gather gathered a bunch of information on our business enterprise architecture right now called the integrated diagnostic uh, that, that that puts things in this quad chart view of you know how what type of technology are they using what type of business processes are they using what sort of missions are they supporting and how critical are they to that mission support uh, and it allows us to characterize these systems in a methodical repeatable quantifiable way that says hey maybe these systems are duplicative with each other uh, one of them let's say there's two of them right one of them is on aging technology is going to need to be replaced soon does it make sense to say maybe we're not going to replace it instead we're going to dovetail that into an existing system so that's really compelling uh use case and story of how we're using the architecture data itself to drive it investments as well as business uh process reinvestment money uh and so that's a really exciting outcome of cattle drive that uh, really benefits the entire department uh, not only on the data and the cio front but also the mission owners because uh, it just decreases the amount of things that they need to support and the amount of processes you need to navigate through to do their job. So I'm super excited by that. A lot to be excited about. To look at another building block, I think, of making sure that the right data gets to the right people at the right time. Can you tell me a little bit more about how Navy's Jupyter platform makes data widely discoverable, accessible, and understandable? Yeah, absolutely. And so I mentioned it earlier, uh, again, as our enterprise data analytics platform, Jupyter, uh, is a tenant inside the broader DOD's Advana platform, and Advana stands for Advancing Analytics, right? Uh, the difference between Advana and Jupyter, uh, first off, Jupyter is Department of Navy only, uh, but what we're, we're actually using it for is a, is a total data management platform, not just an analytical platform, right? And so we have data catalog capabilities in there. We have abilities to orchestrate uh, enterprise services in terms of of, um, like if you need to take a piece of data, you need to pull out of a database, you need to uh, mediate or migrate that or translate it into some different form, uh, you know, add some master data to it and then put it into another location. We have that capability in terms of the extract, transform and load, uh, the service orchestration, as well as the service mediation. And so it's a little bit more broad uh, than maybe what OSD is using it for right now. Uh, but because we are a tenant in there, we are co-building this platform. And so it's super exciting. And so uh, our data catalog that I mentioned earlier as well is going to be in there. And then we're going to document all the APIs and the interfaces inside the platform as well. And so that's really the area we are using Jupyter uh, with the data that's already in there. There's over 150 data uh, sources uh, comprising, I think, of four or 500 data sets um, that we are focusing that master uh, data activity on uh, to increase the trustworthiness of that data, in increase the completeness and the quality of that data to allow it to be used for decision making. And so we have, um, I think there's somewhere around 12 or 15 priority use cases right now that are actually using Jupiter to make operational decisions, to make business decisions right now. And we're looking to expand those kind of what we're calling gold data sets or those that master data into areas that we're not currently using for decision making and to drive those kind of decisions. And so that's really exciting uh, use of Jupiter right now. And then the, the the last thing that we're trying to leverage the platform for is really to um, analyze our decisions themselves and say, hey, did we make the right decision? Is the decision having the effect that we intended? Is it driving that outcome that we're looking for? And so that's uh, something that we just sort of started right now is a little bit of a feedback loop. Um, and we say, you know, if we make this decision and we want to say, this is an example, you know, we want to decrease hiring from, you know, one number to another number, the duration to hire people 
people um, and we made a we pulled a couple out levers, uh, we can go into the platform and say, did those changes that we made uh, to the either the process or or whatever it you know actually decrease hiring? Did it remain the same or did it uh, increase or whatever? Now hiring is actually kind of a bad example because that's a long term sort of thing. We would need many many months if not years to really analyze the effect of decisions like that. Um, but we have seen some of the support in terms of decision making and decision analytics around your, our support to Ukraine. You know, if we move something here, how does that impact happen there? And, and because that's a very sort of episodic thing that is very timely and very uh, time sensitive, right? We're able to see uh, some uh, some changes in the way that we're manipulating the outcome. So again, that's uh, I think that's really neat. And it's uh, I can't say it's a unique application of, of, of data analytics, but it's one that maybe we haven't employed to the extent that we should have been doing in the past. We're speaking with Tom Sasala, the Chief Data Officer for the Department of the Navy. We're going to take a short break, but we'll continue our conversation when we return. I'm Jory Heckman, and you're listening to All About Data on Federal News Network. Back to All About Data, we're speaking with Tom Sasela, Chief Data Officer for the Department of the Navy. And Tom, before the break, you were talking about priority use cases. Can you tell me more about some of those? Sure, absolutely. I would say maybe two years or so ago, one of our number one use cases obviously was COVID and our support to COVID. Uh, again, that is sort of tailed off. But one offshoot of the COVID use case, or two or three offshoots, if you want to look at it that way, is we are directly supporting the Fleet Forces Commander uh, in terms of platform and platform availability. Uh, so they're doing a lot of analysis on how ready is or are our forces, generally speaking, uh, for either to go to combat or not. And so part of that calculus was, you know, the the medical readiness in terms of COVID back in the day. Uh, but now they're factoring in some other things like, is the equipment that the, the, the personnel need to use available? Are the personnel trained? Um, is it in that specific AOR area of responsibility? Or does it need to be transported there for some reason? And are there sufficient supply and logistics to support the use of that platform in you know, in some sort of military warfighting fashion or another. So that's really, really excited to have that direct, uh, exciting to have that direct support to that fleet forces commander. Um, the other uh, couple use cases that are really compelling as well, um, and this has sort of been in the news recently, but we we started an initiative a few, uh, well, about a year or so ago on sexual harassment prevention and destructive behaviors. And so that's something that we're continuing to expand is analyzing casualty reports coming out of the field for trends in destructive behavior that might lead to um, acts of violence or suicide or other things like this. and so that's a little bit more complicated again because it requires a lot of sort of analysis of things that are not terribly quantifiable. Uh, so we're doing a lot of uh, sentiment analysis and natural language processing in that area, um, and that's really higher end sort of analysis. We're going to train algorithms, um, and and then use that trained algorithm to say, you know, are we actually seeing these trends? Humans got to look at this and things like this, and then. Uh, then we have to take some sort of action, right? And then that action could be, you know, very overt or maybe a little less overt, right? And then kind of seeing, did it have the effect that we're looking for is something that is significantly less quantifiable than, you know, do we have the right number of, of masks in this specific location? Um, or, you know, do we have the ordinance that we need to engage in some sort of operation? So um, that's really unique. And then coupled onto that is actually a diversity, equity, and inclusion sort of uh, use case that, that tags along with that 
little bit because we're using some of that 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 behavior in terms of demographics and workforce for the DEI effort. And then there's a lot of other data that we're pulling in in terms of hiring trends. Uh, we're pulling in data from the public sector in terms of the the labor pool. Um, you know, if we're focusing our recruiting efforts on a specific geographical area, is that the area that is most likely to be diverse, right? To to want to share in that sort of equity sort of uh, uh, equation that we're building for the department. And so that work uh, actually started a few months or so ago, uh, but we're doing a lot more predictive analysis in that area than we are in some of the other areas where we're doing more descriptive analysis. So uh, Dr. Uh, Charles Barber is actually leading that for the Secretary of the Navy, and so we're building some dashboards for him as well and supporting with those data integration efforts. So uh, those are the kind of the big ones right now, but uh, like I said, that's three of 89. <laughs> uh, some of them are full service from my perspective. Some of them are essentially self-service where uh, the fleet uh, or the the people, the consumers, the functionals are doing the work themselves in the platform. And so that's also exciting, right? Because now we're empowering the entire size of the Navy to do analysis rather than relying on a very small team up at the secretary to assist. And so that's uh, that's really, I can't quite say that we're democratizing data, but we're trying to democratize the tools that allow data analysis, right? And so again, that's that's really neat and, and something that uh, I, I see the, uh, the Air Force and the Army also doing as well. So I think the DOD is is pretty far uh, ahead of a lot of some of the other agencies, and at least on the executive side. So, can you tell me a little bit more about the Navy's Data Governance Board and what it's doing to empower data usage for end users? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, again, earlier I mentioned the sort of distributed nature of the Department of Navy and how we're trying to empower our workforce itself. Uh, and increase the general acumen of the workforce. So the Data Governance Board is important because it creates that kind of focal point for data management, uh, data policies, as well as the execution of the data management program across the department. And so we have our 12 information domains and our associated data stores who come to the Data Governance Board meeting. And then in that meeting, really the primary focus is, uh, you know, what, what barriers are there that maybe that need to be addressed either at the CDO level Level or at the information domain level, uh, what sort of uh, operations are ongoing that we need to support if there's something that's either thematic or episodic in nature, right? If there's something we need to pivot towards and say, hey, we're going to go in this direction, uh, those come up there as well. And then in most cases, really, uh, there's a cultural and acumen uh, component to the Data Governance Board uh, that I'm not entirely convinced that I uh, fully understand or even understand today, or we anticipated when we stood up the board. We really thought the board was going to be more about policymaking and, and kind of uh, guidance related. Uh, but what we're seeing is the Data Governance Board has actually created a kind of a, a support system for the data stewards, for the functional data managers, as well as the associate data officers down at each command inside the Navy. And so it's created this uh, kind of birds of a feather approach, if you will, where people are really starting to recognize each other, uh, share their information, share their abilities and their skills, as well as their techniques and their the way that they're doing their practice. And then the other thing it allows us to do is create that connective tissue up uh, to the Secretary of Defense's uh, now what is now called the CDAO Council, uh, as well as out to the Federal CDO Council. And so uh, we've actually had a couple people present from those different forms in our Navy governance form, as well as we've presented some of the information we've created um, out at the OSD level, as well as up at the federal level. And so uh, I think it's really exciting to see that community come together and, and really get people who um, are starting to recognize the value of data 
to be used to drive that operations and to drive decision making um, and really understanding the, the not only the value of the data, which I think on the surface is kind of readily apparent to most people, uh, but understanding how hard it really is to use data uh, to drive uh, drive either analysis or drive some sort of decision making and then uh, address those barriers at the highest level in the Department of the Navy. So again, uh, really proud of the team so far and where they've come and how long we've come, how far we've come along in the little short period of time we've been together. All right. Yeah, I'm really struck by the community of practice that has grown pretty quickly considering uh, the time that CDOs have been uh, present across a lot of different agencies here. Um, to focus the conversation on kind of data as a driver of artificial intelligence, can you tell me a little bit about what the Navy's been doing with predictive maintenance, which we've heard a bit about uh, when it comes to autonomous or unmanned vehicles, things of that nature. Can you give us a, a better understanding of what's going on under the hood there? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I talk a lot whenever I'm out and just kind of remind people that, you know, uh, artificial intelligence machine, machine learning is really the pinnacle of the exploitation of your data. And so to get to artificial intelligence, you really need to make investments down at some of the more fundamental layers, like making sure the data is visible, it's available for use, it's clean, it's curated and whatnot. And so uh, the Navy has been making some investments at those levels, and they're actually bearing fruit at that highest level. And so uh, you mentioned predictive maintenance, that's one of the areas where we've been really focusing a lot of time and energy on. Um, there's a, an initiative called the Perform to Plan or P2P that has been using data to really increase the availability of <clears throat> to increase the availability of aircraft, uh, specifically for the carrier strike groups. And that's actually uh, generated, and not only has availability gone up, but more importantly, we've been able to make systemic changes to the way in which we manage and we maintain our airframe. So it's not just like kind of a one and done where we put a lot of energy into something and it changes, but then when people take their eye off the ball, it kind of reverts back to the way that it was. There's really been really systemic changes to the maintenance program itself for these aircraft. So it, it the change has been now, you know, institutionalized kind of long-term throughout the Navy. And then continuing to refine those maintenance processes with that predictive analysis has really helped our kind of sustainment, our, our supply chain. It's actually helped out our vendors because now we have a little bit more of a predictable demand signal to them rather than one day calling them up and say, hey, I need 100,000 of these and not hearing from us for two more years, right? Um, now we can say, hey, we can spread that load out a little bit. And so that's that's exciting. Um, and then the, you mentioned the unmanned uh, kind of vehicle and autonomous vehicle area. Uh, so we have a, a large number of pilots that are ongoing right now. Some of the products that have actually been developed that are autonomous in nature are, are, are getting pretty close to being production worthy. Um, I don't know the exact acquisition status if they are in you know pr full production or if they're limited rate production or whatever. Um, but I have actually I sat through a couple of briefs with the VCNO um, on uh, the, the way in which the Task Force 59 specifically is using data, training algorithms, creating platforms, and then the various use cases that these different platforms are targeted for, whether, you know, whether they're for, you know, observational uh, sort of purposes or sensor purposes or, or just some sort of, uh, you know, oceanographic sort of um, uh, research that we have uh, that we support through the Department of the Navy and other, other avenues uh, such as NOAA and whatnot in the federal government. So, 
it's really exciting to see that that there are like i said and it's not just onesie twosie we're talking 10 or 15 different platforms that i think that are going to become truly viable as autonomous uh platforms from a from a uh surface subsurface sort of perspective not you know uh out on a self-driving cars for example and you know obviously the ocean is a it, it's a little unique in some regards um there's no lanes to adhere to uh per se but there are shipping lanes uh and there's a lot of uh uh, there's a lot more threat out there in the ocean when you are literally, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of miles from the nearest land base. Uh, you can't just, uh, you know, helo in some more fuel or a bigger battery or something like this. So uh, there's a lot of challenges there that they've had to overcome. And so it's it's going to be really, uh, truly exciting over the next couple of weeks and months and years to see how that continues to evolve and see how that supports the war fighting, as well as other things like climate change, which is another big initiative in the Department of the Navy that we're trying to support, not only through traditional analysis means and data gathering, but also through, um, you know, some sort of the predictive and artificial intelligence machine learning opportunities as well. All right. And AI really does seem to cover just about everything under the sun here. And, uh, you know, I think there's uh, a case to be made for data and AI having uh, implications for cybersecurity as well. Can you unpack for us uh, some of the challenges as well as the opportunities uh, that AI and data have in this space? Yeah, absolutely. So the 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 cybersecurity uh, environment in general is one of the areas where I think we're we're starting. We on the data front are starting to have a lot more impact. Um, not only are we allowing them to uh, gather their data and integrate their data in ways that they have not yet had the ability to do, uh, but also leverage their data to, you know, to kind of decrease that decision cycle, decrease the size or uh, the duration of the OODA loop, if you will, right? Um, and allowing our defensive forces to react in a much more more timely manner, or to recognize adversarial activity within our boundary or, or you know, around the outside of the boundary or whatnot. Um, and then some of the applications are, are kind of more unique on the offensive side as well, right? Uh, where we have bots out there looking for things and being able to take, you know, some sort of action, a little bit of action uh, on their own and feeding that telemetry back. And so uh, on, on the cyber front, something as what I would characterize as relatively simplistic is just simply knowing where all of our endpoints are, Knowing that they exist, knowing what their health and well-being is, knowing what their patch level is, is something that we're you know we're working on with them right now. And then combining that with other data sets, like uh, what vulnerabilities are out there, what threats are out there, for example, uh, and then doing some analysis and saying, you know can we characterize how vulnerable we are as a Navy, right? Using all these different data points. And again, that's uh, somewhat more subjective than quantitative necessarily, um, but it does also allow us to say, where are we more vulnerable physically, right? Than, than, than not, and then allow our defensive forces to go in and ensure up that environment, right? Uh, uh, maybe do some additional patching, some additional re remediation, or maybe some additional red teaming, for example. And so uh, combining that, uh, you know, with, with the kind of traditional data analysis that they're doing of just incoming, just the, the barrage of incoming data from cybersecurity uh, sensors out there. And so you can just imagine the volume of the data is just just mind boggling. And so using that those algorithms, uh, whether there's something simple as descriptive or something more advanced um, to allow the humans to really focus on the things that maybe are a threat as opposed to all the false positives or or even some of the some of the negatives that we get on a regular basis so um, a lot of work going on there and uh, a, a lot of i think uh, a lot of impact that is just 
you don't hear about very much. You really only hear about when something bad happens, right? Um, you know, and in the unfortunately with cybersecurity, you have to get it right 100% of the time, right? And so um, all the successes uh, uh, pale uh, in comparison to one failure in, in, from a press perspective, right? But I really like to uh, give a shout out to the people that are doing this work because uh, again, the, the one in a billion is still, you know, 999 million, 100 million, right? Uh, successes that you don't really hear about. So I think there's tremendous work going on there. For sure. And a lot of this conversation has been focused on kind of the, the, the data, the mission that you'd expect the Navy to be focused on, the uh, you know the 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 readiness, the you know the defending the nation type work, but it seems to be that data and analytics is the kind of thing where you know a rising tide raises all boats, and you know it seems like there are some use cases here, like in budgeting and HR, where data and analytics and AI and all these things can really kind of jumpstart some exciting work there. Can you tell me a little bit more about what's happening in that space? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, you, you mentioned a couple areas that, that are kind of um, very compelling and in, in, in areas that we've actually started doing some work in. And I'm, I'll give you a couple of use cases here, a couple of examples, right? So uh, the concept of, of force planning is something that the Department of Defense has to do, right? But uh, it, has, it has the potential to have a great impact to a lot of different facets of the United States. So for example, if in force planning, we determine that maybe we don't need that extra aircraft carrier, or uh, we need to add an extra ship over here, that's a shipbuilding activity that touches a large portion of the, the, the workforce. It goes deep into the supply chain. And so one of the things we're trying to do is really use our data, our planning data from years past, as well as what we think we might need, given the pacing threats right now of the two big peer competitors. And then using that, that analysis, this is the important part, not necessarily the predictive, but using analysis to show Congress, right, that we have a basis for our recommendation, right, that is more numerical and more, more quantitative. Um, that uh, So yeah, you might want uh, all your, all the data to, or all the money to go to this specific thing because it helps your constituents. But the reality is that if you want to help us collectively defend the United States as a U.S. Navy and the U.S. Marine Corps, right, it would be better for the United States to put the investment here, for example. And so we're starting to get some traction. Um, there's a lot of interest from the staffers on the Hill about, well, well, now that you have the data, can you show it to us? Can you share it with us? Um, help us really not only defend the budget, but uh, defend our posture. No, we really are here in the story, right? Um, and then defend or help assist with budget making and appropriations in the future, right? Which is something we've never really been able to do. We, we submit a request um, but the appropriators kind of do what the appropriators do. And so now if they can kind of see some of that, the, the things that we're seeing in terms of, uh, again, those pacing threats and those trends, um, it might change the calculus a little bit and maybe allow not only the military departments to work together, uh, but also Congress um, and the appropriators and the authorizers to work together to produce an actual defense authorization bill uh, that is uh, simultaneously, you know, focused for some near-term needs, but also providing strategic benefit long run. And so that's one use case that I'm really, I'm really hopeful that we're going to be able to kind of turn the tide on something. And that's not 
uh, that's not what I would characterize as that traditional uh, use case that we'd seen in the past. Uh, normally, it's more about, like you said, readiness right now, or even even predicting force readiness out to the future. But we're talking like 2045 shipbuilding plan, right? <laughs> Which is uh, a really far out into the future. And, you know, obviously our confidence level every year you go out goes down a little bit. And so predicting something in 2045 now is is, is hard. Um, but the more data that we can amass, the more confidence we can have in those predictions to say that, hey, this is the right investment now. And when it takes decades to generate a new platform or, 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 or close to a decade to roll on a new aircraft carrier, that's a huge investment for America, right? And so uh, the, the higher probability that we get these investments right, or at least mostly right, uh, the better it is for everyone right overall so uh, again i think that's really cool that was tom sasela the chief data officer for the department of the navy you can find the full interview and transcript on federalnewsnetwork.com i'm jory heckman and thanks for listening to this episode of all about data thanks for listening to all about data on federal news radio part of federal news network you can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your favorite podcast app search for all about data on podcast one apple podcasts or wherever you get your shows